How's everybody feeling this morning? Let me hear it. So good. The sun has not tired you out. You look good. You feel good. It's going to be a good morning. I'm so glad to be in, in church together with you. We are in, as Pastor Troy said, week number five of our This Is Us series. This is it. This is the last week. If you don't know how to do relationships after this, you've got a tough year ahead. But you can get on the podcast and no, you'll be good. Uh, I'm so excited to dive into God's Word. Really what we've been saying throughout this series is here's the, here's the most important thing about our This Is Us series. God builds His kingdom relationally. God does His best work relationally, whether that's in marriage or family or friendships. And you can see this when you just look around your life. Like, if you look at the people who are persevering in their faith journey, if you look at the people who are following Jesus with some joy and some life, if you look at the people who are growing in Christ, you will see one common denominator amongst them, and it's that they're living in relationship. Uh, and the, the opposite's true. If you see someone who, uh, honestly, if you're in isolation, what we find is that you just, you kind of get hurt all the time. And I know that because I've been there myself so many times. And the enemy just puts a pounding on people who are in isolation, which is why we are so passionate here about doing life together. It's one of our main core values, doing life together and promo alert. This is uh, the spring semester of our Resonate groups. They go until June 15th. And so we've got a great connections team in our lobby, just like every week. There's a great team today to be able to serve you, help you find a place to plug in. And uh, I'm excited for that. We, we get excited about relationships. In fact, we're planning right now for how we can expand the reach of our groups this fall. We you know, we know that there are some demographics that are underserved right now in our groups. We know there's some people driving in from places where we never thought we'd have to put groups that far away. We got people coming from Maple Ridge. We have people coming from Abbotsford. We got people coming from Surrey. We got people from Langley. I heard it last week I saw someone from North Vancouver that was here. And so we got to expand the reach of our group. So we want you to know we are working on it. We're planning it. We're finding leaders. And, and uh, even when it's early spring, we're planning for the fall. Thank you, Jesus. So here's where we've been so far in the series. In week number one, we talked about putting God first. And we said that was the most important essential of any healthy relationship is that God is first in that relationship. And then in week number two, we talked about fighting fair. And... We got a lot of positive feedback on that message. In fact, uh, like probably more than we would ever get. And I think it's because a lot of you are fighting. And uh, so thanks for letting us know. No, you wanted to know how you could actually work through some challenges and relationships. And so uh, we were glad to hear that, that that was a good message for you. And then we talked, this was my favorite, was week three, which was have some fun. That was a good message. In fact, I think, um, I think Resonate Church alone caused a spike in downloads of R&B playlists on Spotify, just through that message alone. Hail from the front row. And then week number four, we had Pastor Brent Cantle on here, my pastor. He just preached a great word on speaking words of life. And so we've had uh, God first, fight fair, have fun, speak life. And now in week number five, I'm excited to share a message with you this morning on the subject of never giving up. Never giving up. Can we pray together before we go to God's word? Lord, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. And Lord, as I share this word now on never giving up, God, I pray that your word would do a couple things, God, as, as you always intend for your word to do, God, that it would meet us where we're at and it would challenge us into a new place and a new space. But it also, God, would not leave us debilitated or overwhelmed. But God, what your word does is it would speak life. And so, God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, may we receive your word as you intend it today to change us and to encourage us. We lean in, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. 
Well, there are some areas in life where I think giving up would be an appropriate response. We have, right now that the weather's turned, we've got some ants coming into our house. Like it's an army walking into our house on a daily basis. In fact, the whole animal kingdom is out to get us right now. We've got some birds that are living in the soffit of our roof, like up in this peak, like 40 feet high. And so we've got some bird relocation specialists coming. I didn't really want the relocation guys. I wanted the murderers, but whatever. We're good people. We're bringing in the relocation people. But I wish the ants would give up. Honestly, I I wish they would give up. And they should know to give up. We've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old that like their dad. Like they are are cold-blooded ant killers. They will... When they see an ant, like, they will just yell, our two-year-old will yell, get the tape! And what she wants is she wants packing tape so that she can just go and stick it on them. You know, the, pack, the stuff that's, like, really sticky, right? They're not going anywhere. We're not talking about no scotch tape. Like, we're talking about, like, you're not going anywhere. They are, they're cold-blooded. That's, what, that's probably why the animal kingdom is out to get us. Like, they know that we're really not ant lovers in the house. And I just wish I could say to the ants, like, we do love you. We just want you to stay outside. Just give Oh, see, that would be an appropriate response for an ant right there. It would be give up, stop trying to get into our house. But how many know when it comes to marriage, giving up was never God's design? And we know this because in Jesus' day, some people came to him with a question. And they said to him this in Matthew 19. They said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, in Jesus' day, there was actually no fault divorce like there is today. And so, uh, and so they asked him this question, is that okay? And Jesus said something interesting when he responded to them. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus wasn't saying that divorce was never going to happen. But what he was saying was marriage is really this picture. It's like two sheets of paper being glued together. They become one, and you can't undo that without some tearing. Divorce is always going to be painful. And there's some people I know in this room this morning, you've gone through that pain. And and let me just say again, as we've said every week in this series, this is not a, a space or a place for condemnation. In fact, this is a from this moment on series. That when we hear the challenge of God's word, we don't get frustrated and condemned about the past and whatever we've been through, actually we just allow it to speak to us and say, from this moment on, I am going to start living in a new direction. It's a from this moment on series. The other thing Jesus isn't saying here is he's not saying if you're in an abusive relationship that you need to stay in that relationship. In fact, sometimes separation would be necessary so that healing could begin. And so what Jesus was saying, here's the most important thing, what Jesus was saying is that so often we have this tendency to view marriage as a contract instead of a covenant. But marriage was given to us to be this earthly representation of the covenant that God wants to have with us. And in Luke chapter 22, we see a picture of this covenant. Jesus, before he would go to the cross, the night before he'd go to the cross, he's sitting with his disciples around a table and he takes the cup After dinner, he's got the wine in the cup, and he says to them this in Luke chapter 22. He says, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
The new covenant, what's Jesus speaking of, of a new covenant? Here was what the Old Testament covenants looked like. In the Old Testament, a covenant was entered into between two people, and they would cut up an animal like a bull, and they would place pieces of the animal on the ground, and they would walk back and forth between these pieces, and they'd say, if I don't live up to my end of the covenant, may it be to me like it was to this animal. And now what Jesus is saying is he's gathering his disciples around this table. He's, he's, he's saying, this picture, wine in this glass, is a picture of the blood that I'm going to spill for you. And I want you to see that I'm about to go to a cross to demonstrate the performance of my commitment to you. And what's amazing about the covenant that God made with us is that he did not wait for us to say yes before he went ahead and lived up to his end of the covenant. Before we ever believed, Jesus went and died on a cross. That is the God we serve. That's the covenant he made with us. And so we put these things together. Jesus is saying, well, marriage, marriage is this two becoming one. It's a covenant. And he's saying, if you want to know what covenant looks like, look what I've done for you. And now in all ways, in all areas of your relationship in the marriage space, lay down your life for one another. And the world around us does not look at marriage this way. The world around us looks at, at marriage as a contract and not a covenant. And here are some of the differences between a contract and a covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust. A contract is written because you don't expect the other person to live up to what they said they were going to do. And so you write the language like, if you don't do this, well, here's what happens. And if you don't do this, here's what happens. A covenant, on the other hand, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. The language is not, if you don't, the language is, here's what I'm going to do. A contract is, is all about protecting my rights. And so I'm going I'm to write it down on a piece of paper, and if you don't live up to what you said you were going to do, I'm going to be able to take you to court. That's not what a covenant is. A covenant is saying, I'm going to surrender some rights to this relationship. A contract limits my responsibility. This is how far I have to go. I'm going to go this far, and I'm not going to go any Further, on the other hand, a covenant assumes responsibilities. I'm going to give myself for you. And as we close this series, and we're talking about never giving up, I pray that we would understand the difference between these two things, a contract and a covenant, because God's desire for marriage was that we would never give up and we would enter into a covenant that lives like Jesus lived for us, laying down our lives for one another. So our girls, our girls are a great picture of never giving up, each of them in their own opposite way. I mean, the exact opposite of never giving up. They, bo they both have a never give up mindset, but it's the inverse of one another. So our two-year-old, Alencia, she will not give up until you let her do it by herself. Like her favorite word, she says this like a thousand times a day is self, self, self. She's got a cute little lisp. Self, self. All day long. So she wants to try and climb up stuff she should not be climbing. And you're like, well, let me help you out. Self, all day long. She won't let you. She doesn't know how to tie her shoes. She couldn't tie her shoes. If you gave her like five hours, she couldn't tie her shoes. But if you try to tie her shoes, she will scream at you. She does not give up unless you let her do it herself. Now, our four-year-old, on the other hand, our four-year-old will not give up until you do it with her. It's the exact opposite. In fact, ever since she was one year old, her favorite line has been, carry me. So we've got one child that says self, the other child that says carry me all day long. They both have a never give up mindset. It's just one won't give up until you let them do it themselves. The other won't give up until you do it with them.
Now, here's what I want us to understand about this mentality about never giving up. Never give up is not a slogan to glorify self-will in the life of a Christian. That's never God's intent. The Bible is not to get us to a place where we try and do things better. No, the whole point of the Bible is to say that we can't do it on our own. We need a savior. And for all eternity, we will be worshiping the God who did it for us. And so you don't come to church so that you can hear a pastor talk to you and say, why don't you go home now and try a little bit harder? No, that's not why you come to church. You come to church to have an encounter with a God who says, I am the one who wants to fill you with my spirit to enable you to have this spirit that never gives up. And beyond that, when you do fall down, I am the one that is going to lift you back up. That's the encounter you've come to have today. So how do we live out this never give up mindset? I want to go to one of my favorite passages of scripture in the whole Bible. My favorite windows into the life of Jesus. And it's found in John chapter 21. And if you've grown up around church, you'll know this story pretty well because before Jesus went to the cross, Peter, one of his disciples, said, Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you. I'm willing to follow you to death. And then as Jesus is arrested and tried, we see Peter deny Jesus three times. Three times he's like, don't know him, don't know him, don't know him. Well, after Jesus rises from the grave, Jesus is going to go about restoring that relationship rupture. And it's a picture for us of how we approach challenges in a relationship. It's a picture for us of how we don't give up. Jesus demonstrates some things for us as he goes to Peter. And this is what the Bible says about the encounter. It begins this way. It says, after this, Jesus revealed his resurrected self again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Here's who was there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples who just didn't get named here. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, well, we'll go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, can you imagine Peter after Jesus is resurrected from the grave? Can you imagine what's going on in his heart? Like, I can imagine Peter is ecstatic that Jesus is resurrected. He knows that he gets to be one of the guys in the room with the resurrected son of God. Like, how great is that? No doubt he's ecstatic. No doubt he's excited. He's gone from fear and doubt into a place of certain faith. He gets to spend time with the resurrected son of God. He's excited, I'm sure, about that. But you can imagine that every time he's in a room with Jesus, he's feeling something else. Every time Peter's in a room with Jesus, he would be feeling this crushing weight of guilt. Why could I not have just fought a little harder and not denied him? Why couldn't I have been stronger? Why did I fail? No, he would be feeling this as he's in the room with Jesus. Jesus knows this, and so he decides that he's going to make time for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. Even though all these other guys are around, Jesus makes time and space for this one-on-one. -on -one. And this is what the Bible says in verse 15. It says, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now I want us to just pause there for a moment. Jesus said, after breakfast, Jesus said, before we look at what Jesus said and before we look into the words and why they matter, I want us to pause and note something right here. That Jesus is the one initiating the conversation. And this is the first thing we see about never giving up. Really the first principle of never giving up is this, is that love goes first. 
Peter has not come to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, I let you down. Jesus, I need you to do a miracle in my life and lift this weight of guilt off my shoulders. He's not in that space. He's bearing the the guilt to the place where he's like, I just need to go and escape this thing that's going on in my heart right now. I just need to go and I need to go fishing. And Jesus is the one that goes to him. You would think that it would be the other way around. In fact, it kind of begs the question, like, Jesus, don't you understand the way relationships work? When you've been wronged, you wait for that person person to come and say, hey, I know I wronged you. And then you're like, okay, thanks for getting it. I now forgive you. That's the way we do relationships. That's not at all the picture that we see right here. In our home, uh, sometimes Rachel lets me down. (sighs) I know it's a brave thing to say, right? Yeah, it was like every two, three years, like, you know, her angel wings fall off for a moment and she will do something that will let me down. Now, <laughs> my default reaction is to not, I'm going to go first. I'm going to pursue. I, I, no, my default reaction is I can't wait till you see what you've done wrong. I can't wait. Let's go to counseling this week because you're going to find out this week someone's going to shine a lens on that thing. And then I, I think about what Jesus has done in my life and I'm like, wait a minute. Love goes first. I'm maybe not all that good at it because I don't practice it that much. As I said, it's, it's not all that often that, that I get into this place. But no, we do. We do. All of us in our marriages, let's be honest, we get to this place. And we need to see in the never give up mentality, the never give up approach that Jesus takes with Peter is that love goes first. Let's read on and see what Jesus says. I love the Bible, by the way. There's just so much nuance. When I first started to prepare this message, I had five points. And then I was like, Man, people don't even remember one. Like, I got to dial this thing back. And so I've been shedding points. Um, And my apologies to the people who made slides and then made slides again and then made slides again so that we could get this down to something that might be memorable. And here's the thing. Um, You're not going to go home and remember three points, let's be honest. But my hope is that something I say today would stick to your heart, not so that you'd remember what I say. The whole exercise is that you'd see Jesus, right? Here's the second thing that we see. Jesus goes on, he says... He says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter responds with this incredible statement. I love this. He says, you know, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know that I love you. Peter's saying, I know I've rejected you. I know I've denied that I know you. But since you rose from the grave, you are clearly God. And if you're God, I know that you can see beyond the mess ups that I've just made and you can see into my heart and you can actually see, I know that you know that I love you. And here's the second thing about never giving up. Love sees beyond the surface. Love sees beyond the surface. Peter knows that he's dealing with the son of God, which means that Jesus sees beyond the surface. So what looked like rejection, what looked like a lack of love was actually fear in Peter's heart. And this happens so often in our marriages that what looks like a lack of love, what looks like rejection is so often fear. The way we've been raised, the way we've been taught to deal with things and then we have fear of anything that would be different from that. We see this in our relationships. You might be married to someone who it seems like they always build walls up around their heart and it's hard to get through to them and it's hard to have a conversation. And you might have even had this thought at some point like like if you're this withdrawn, do you even love me? 
And what it is, is not a lack of love. It's not rejection. It's actually fear. And I want to make some generalizations. These aren't always the case, but these are often the case for guys. For guys, oftentimes the fear that we have is the fear of looking weak. And so we won't share when something is actually really painful for us. So when something is painful, we have a tendency to withdraw. We withdraw out of that relationship. And to the other person, it might look like a lack of love. It's not a lack of love. It's not rejection. It's actually fear. I'm afraid of looking weak. And love can see beyond that. Love sees beyond the surface. For the ladies, oftentimes, uh, oftentimes for women, you will, you'll feel this, this weight of, I don't want to feel rejection. And sometimes it might cause you to hide your heart. You'd say, rather than reaching out and saying exactly what I need and the way I need it, women, you have from time to time been known to kind of uh, maybe a little bit indirect in your requests for something in the marriage space. I don't know about any of the other guys. I've, I, I've, I've, met, I've found that before. Like when we were on our honeymoon and before, I've told this story before, before, this is like the second night we were married and I had just driven, no, it was like the, it was a few, few nights past that. We drove away from a hurricane, long story. We drive away from this hurricane. We get to the place we're going to stay. I've been up for like 136 hours in a row and I look at Rachel, I just, I can't stay awake anymore and I'm like, are you okay? Do you mind if I go to bed? She's like, I'm fine. I fall asleep five minutes later. She wakes me up. It's not fine. I'm like, what? Fine. Well, anyway. I mean, yeah. I run these things by her, by the way, just so you know. We're, we good. Um, but ladies and guys as well, sometimes we have this fear of actually saying exactly what we need. Because if we say what we need and the other person doesn't respond, that is a deep rejection and a deeper wound. Sometimes it's easier to, in a place of fear, I'm not even going to really tell you what I need. Because I can't handle right now the weight of rejection. Love sees beyond those things. In our home, here's one of the, the things that we do. It's a kind of statement that we've used to try and help ourselves see beyond when we're in a difficult conversation. And here's the statement that we'll use. We use this statement. The story I'm telling myself is. The story I'm telling myself is, and I see Troy nodding in the front row because we talk, you know, we've talked about this with them before. We've kind of debriefed these things. And so the story I'm telling myself is, so me, Mr. Punctual, if Rachel's not on time, rather than saying, can't you, why do you never want to be on time? You know this matters to me. Why? It's like you don't care that I want to be on time. No, that's like one way to go. But what we'll do is we'll say, we try to see beyond making a proclamation. We'll see beyond. We'll say, hey, here's the story I'm telling myself. Is that you not being on time. That's actually saying you don't really care as much that I really want to be on time. The story I'm telling myself, it's like helping to start the conversation. I, I, and then with that, she would be able to say, well, you know, I had a really difficult day with the girls today. Or this happened at work. You see, we've given ourselves the opportunity to explain what might be happening beyond the surface. Flip it around. Rachel's a super feeler. And so... Uh, sometimes I have been known to not respond to an emotional cue from her on time. That happens a fair amount. So, for example, she might be showing some emotion, and I don't see it because, like, puppy, you know, and uh, so I'm just distracted by things, and so she might, she might be like, well, why didn't you see that emotion? Like, you'd never see the emotion. You, you never notice me. No, rather than saying those things, she's saying, hey, here's the story I'm telling myself. You didn't see that emotional cue, and the story I'm telling myself is you don't really notice me, and what's going on? See, rather than saying what we see on the surface, we're giving ourselves an opportunity by saying, this is what I see going on. Here's the story I'm telling myself, an opportunity for us to actually press a little bit deeper beyond the surface and see what's going on. And that's, that's what we see right here. 
Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, I know how good you are. And I know that you can see beyond the mistakes that I've made. And you see into this heart. And you can see. I love you. Love sees beyond. And now this is where the story actually starts to get really good. This is, this is, it starts to get a little bit crazy as well. What Jesus says back, in some ways, is not going to make sense, but we're going to see why it makes sense. Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus says this back. Maybe you've been around church and you've kind of lost, uh, lost the, the kind of craziness of this statement. But Jesus says back to him, feed my lambs. Like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense on the surface. Like, do you love me? Oh, you know I love you. Now I want you to go feed some lambs. And here's, here's the thing that actually makes the least amount of sense about it. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. Jesus is always breaking things down on the level that people can understand it in their own sphere. Jesus is always talking to, to guys that are farmers about sowing seeds and how the kingdom is like sowing seeds. He's breaking it down on people's language all the time. So why is it here in the most important conversation he's ever going to have with Peter, he speaks to a fisherman on shepherd terms? Why does Jesus here say to a fisherman, I want you, with that love that, that, that you have for me, I want you to go and feed some sheep. Why does Jesus speak to a fisherman on shepherd terms? I think it points to a change of heart that Jesus is asking Peter to have. And here's the reason for that. In Jesus' day, a fisherman under Roman oppressive rule would pull a fish out of the water and they knew that they had to pay a tax on that fish. The tax on the fish meant that the fisherman would have to look at the fish and, and decide, are you worth it to me? And I think that's the way a lot of us look at our marriages. We look at the relationship and we look at the cost and we say, are you worth it to me? And, and the world around us looks at relationships this way and say, you're actually maybe not worth it to me. The cost is too great. I'm going to throw you back in the sea. There's plenty of fish in the sea. I'm going to go and I'm going to catch another one. Jesus is saying, I've got to work a mindset shift in you. I've got to take you from a fisherman to a shepherd. I've got to take you from looking at this relationship and saying, are you worth it to me? And give you the mindset of a shepherd. A shepherd has a sense of connection with the sheep. A shepherd will lay down its life for the sheep. A shepherd will go after the sheep. Jesus is saying, I've got to change your mentality. I've got to change your mindset. So here's the thing, Jesus actually wasn't speaking on the context of marriages, so let me flip it and talk about the context he was speaking in. He had said to Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And so the context of him saying this is, listen, Peter, uh, for thousands of years, I'm going to build my church on you. And I don't want anyone to look at church leaders in my house and think that they're assessing them the way a fisherman would pull a fish up out of the sea and say, are you worth it to me? No, you've got to have a shepherd's mentality. And I pray that over Resonate Church. I pray that when someone walks in the doors of our church, they're not wondering, am I worth it? Do you think I'm worth it? They're not, based on any exterior outside of them, wondering, Did this, does this place think that I'm worth it? No, that then they walk in the door, it wouldn't just be our pastors that are inviting of people. It wouldn't just be the team that's serving that day. It would be everyone in this house having a hardship that says, we don't assess whether or not you're worth it. We look at you, we see the value, we are for you, and we will go to the gates of hell to pluck one more to the kingdom of God. The, the gates of hell will not stand against the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get a church in here this morning? That is thankful that we serve a God who shifted our mindset as church leaders from fishers to shepherds. 
So here's where we've been in this series. We've talked about putting God first. It's the only way to have a great relationship. None of this is possible apart from an all-in relationship with Jesus. We talked about fighting fair. We talked about having fun. We talked about speaking words of life. And we've talked now about never giving up. And here's the reason we never give up. It's because we serve a God who went first dying for us on a cross. We serve a God who sees beyond. He sees beyond the mistakes of your life. He sees the fears in your heart. And today, he is initiating a conversation to restore you. And finally, we serve a God who looks at your life and says, you're worth it. Would you bow your heads with me all over the room this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you so much, God, that your word has spoken hope and spoken life. And now, God, in these next few minutes, as we, as we move into a response time, God, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to, to hear not just my words now, God, really just to hear a word from you. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and this hasn't been a message necessarily for you on relationships or on marriage. This is actually a message that's calling you into a relationship with Jesus. Because today you know you're in this place and, and you're far from God. Maybe you've never made a faith decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you did at one point, but you know today you're far from God. Before we close the service... I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word today, to understand that he went first to die for you, that he reaches to you today and sees beyond the surface, and then he says, you're worth it. So if you're in the place today and you'd say, today is my day to respond with faith to what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to do something that's a little bit brave. We won't center you out, call you forward. This is a moment just between you and God. But I am going to ask you with no one looking around in a moment to raise your hand and say, yeah, today's my day to make that faith decision. Raising your hand is not the thing that will save you. It is putting believing trust and faith in the God who went first for you, gave his life for you. And so if that's you today, you'd say, yeah, pastor, I don't want to leave this place the way I came in, but I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, give my life to Christ, become a Christian. Would you just raise your hand on the count of three? One two, three. This is your moment of decision. You'd say, yeah, pray with me before we close the service today, Pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else in the room today? You'd say, yeah. That's where I'm at today. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? So great. So great. Come on, church. Would you help out this one that's raised her hand today and maybe anyone else in the room that you'd say, I'm going to make that decision. You didn't raise your hand, but today you're making a decision. Say this with me in a Say, just say this words from your heart. It's not the words, it's your heart. Say, dear Jesus, my life is yours. My full surrender. Thank you that you went first. You see beyond my sin. You see now that I love you. I respond to your grace in faith. And I choose to follow you. Help me follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together in this place like never before for those who made that decision today?